0: If there's one thing that I think I've learned from this time in isolation and sharing all these stories with you over the past month, it's that life is life. There are a lot of things that coronavirus changes about that life, where we go and when and how, but the challenges we faced before coronavirus, they don't just go away because we spend our days in isolation. I mean, sometimes they do get worse, but often they just, look different we still need each other we still need stories we still need community to survive
1: I think since the crisis started you and I actually communicate more than we ever have Too.
0: I'm gonna tell you about two brothers we're not gonna use their real names here so we're going to call them David and Jason they describe themselves as opposites David lives in Florida Jason lives in Nevada David has four kids and lives with his partner. Jason is the younger brother, the cool uncle. But they do have one very important thing in common. They're both sober. And today we learn about how life and isolation has brought them together in ways they could have never imagined.
2: Just hearing the positive effect you're having on so many people in Reno in their sobriety is just really, really cool to meet Jason.
0: From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Our producer, Shara Morris, has this story.
3: Last week, I hopped on Zoom with two guys I found on Twitter. David, and Jason. They're brothers.
1: You know, like, Who smokes tobacco in a
2: pipe anymore? <laughs> <I know. laughs> <It's like laughs> it's the only It's the only uh, form of tobacco that's acceptable right. for me with my wife and in front of my kids now. So that's yeah. why I'm, I've, I've turned
1: to no, it. No, I like, I like it.
3: It's a little weird making two brothers Zoom with each other when you don't know them well yourself. I felt like that not-so-real cousin interloping a family reunion. But as we've learned lately, Zooming in general is kind of new for most of us.
1: I remember yeah. even growing up having neighbors that smoke pipe
2: tobacco. and That's Did such a
1: distinct smell.
2: Mr. Osborne with the cowboy Correct. boots and the cowboy hat. And yeah. he, he always smelled like pipe tobacco.
3: David's talking about smoking a pipe and pulling a Mr. Osborne because that's one of the few things getting him through coronavirus. He's been sober for two decades. His younger brother, Jason, is three and a half years sober. These days, because of COVID, face-to-face AA meetings are canceled. So David and Jason have started going to the same meeting online.
2: Even though it's a Zoom meeting, I can definitely see how integrated you are into... AA meetings and AA culture and that you're sponsoring other people and in that one meeting I called on that one guy to speak and it just turned out that he was your sponsor Um, or that other fellow in the meeting who shared in the meeting just how important you'd been because you guys got sober about the same time.
3: Jason and David sound like old pals, but it wasn't always like this. Their household wasn't filled with bear hugs and dog piles and they weren't the kind of siblings who called each other first when they needed someone to turn to. But there are other reasons the brothers weren't close. They're six years apart, which in kid years might as well be 40. When David was learning addition and subtraction, Jason was in diapers. And when Jason was hitting puberty, David was already off to college. Besides, Jason says their personalities are pretty much night and day.
1: You know, he attended Princeton University, had a Fulbright scholarship, traveled around the world.
3: David even had a well-paying job on Wall Street. And Jason, let's just say he wasn't making dean's list anytime soon. But he was really good with people.
2: My brother Jason could sell ice to an Eskimo. He has a very magnetic personality He's always been very, very social in a way that I was, like, jealous of.
3: Jason became the fun one, the guy with street smarts, the party dude who everyone wants to be around, which quickly devolved into something a lot less fun.
1: You know, I was pass-out, blackout drinker by the time I was 14. I uh, quickly moved on to drugs. I think by the time, so my brother, you know, is graduating successfully and then I'm 15 years old getting kicked out of school for selling LSD. And uh, so I always just kind of felt like I was the black sheep of the family,
2: I guess.
3: In the meantime, David may have seemed perfect on paper, but he was struggling too.
2: I drank a bit in high school I drank till I blacked out, passed out. And that kind of was seemed to be like a recurring theme for me. Like when I drank, I did not drink very well.
3: By college, David couldn't hide his troubles.
2: I got spoken to a lot about my drinking. I ended up moving back to Atlanta with a job offer and suddenly was in a place where I was having to drive around and um, had a couple of like really close calls.
3: One night, he went to see a movie by himself.
2: I got to the point where my friends from high school didn't want to hang out with me. Um, And I was just too much of a mess. And uh, so I went to a movie alone.
3: The movie was an indie Scottish film called My Name is Joe. And the main character, Joe, happened to be a recovering alcoholic. He had a book from Alcoholics Anonymous with him. David saw it and thought, I need that book. So he left the theater and went to Borders he ended up finding a different book, How to Get Started in AA. And now he's been sober for about 20 years. As it happens, once he got sober, things started to make sense. The pieces of his life fell into place. His friends went to the movies with him again. He met his wife, and they have four kids together. But while David was in recovery, Jason kept drinking and using drugs.
1: It took me a lot longer to realize that my life was unmanageable and that I, uh, um, you know, I couldn't quit drinking on my own.
3: Jason went to the College of Charleston because it was the number one stoner school in the country that year. He flunked out, then he moved to Mauritius, a tiny island just east of Madagascar. Worked there for a couple of years in hospitality while he partied.
1: If I hadn't have been on an island in the middle of, The Indian Ocean, you know, I probably would have been fired and and let go, but they just had no other options, you know, at that point.
3: Eventually, he ended up out west, in Nevada.
1: My uh, drinking really took off. Uh, You know, I was able to go to bars 24-7. I know you can walk into a bar at 5 in the morning, and it's, you know, it's like it's 8 o'clock at night.
3: After too many nights he couldn't remember... Jason decided to quit drinking. He started going to AA meetings. He told everyone he was done. He thought he was done, but he was still doing drugs.
1: It got to a point where I would like snort cocaine while I'm drinking in O'Duls and and (laughs) think that and you know, somebody would come up and offer me a drink and I'd be like, No, sorry, I'm I'm sober. And the person, you know, when I had a plate of cocaine in my lap and the What kind of reaction
3: did they have?
1: Completely confused, you know? I mean, I just got these looks like, yeah, right, you're not sober. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? (laughs) No.
3: So at this point, Jason was closing himself off to everyone. He couldn't be honest with his AA group, his friends, or his family. He became isolated and depressed, which are some of the worst feelings you can face as an addict. One day as he was driving, he just stopped cold.
1: And uh, came to a traffic light and we just became so overwhelmed, uh, with the feelings I was having, you know, with depression. And I had just quit a job, uh, making lots of money because I just couldn't handle the responsibilities. So I ended up, um, you know, was sitting at an intersection and just broke down crying and, uh, started having cars start honking their horns at me, uh, wondering why I wasn't moving. And, uh, you know, at that point, I knew I needed to reach out to somebody and I pulled over on the side of the road and then called my brother.
2: I was at a conference in New York and I got a call from him and uh, he was, you know, in tears and, he you know, he was just saying he didn't really want to go on anymore. So I was like, look, you know, just hold tight. I'll be there as soon as I can. You can get through this and I will be right there. So... And I mean, I just can't imagine, like, you know, my kids, he's probably, you know, I mean, he probably is their most favorite person in the world.
1: Shortly thereafter, um, after speaking to my brother on the phone, uh, he flew out here. And, uh, you know, that completely
2: saved my life.
3: After that call, nothing was ever the same again between David and Jason.
2: I told him basically the first thing we really needed to do was go get a psych eval. So I felt better after that. And then um, wanted to just make sure he kind of got set up and connected with what he needed. And so we just kind of spent a few days chillaxing. I probably was like, let's just, you know, do something. I'd heard about this, this monastery and wanted to check it out for years. And so we just got in the car, listened to the music, kind of made a road trip out of
1: it. I don't remember what we talked about, but I do remember that being in the car together during that road trip was the first time that we were kind of completely honest with each other. Um, I was able to tell him exactly what was going on with me, and uh, and I was also able to learn a lot about him. We went to the monastery, and uh, it was just out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and You know, we went into some room where the the monks were praying and I just sat in the back in a chair and just observed it all while my brother did participate with them.
2: I have really fond memories of that day. I'm just super grateful that he did reach out. Um, And, you know, when you're you're depressed or when you're having serious problems, sometimes the phone feels like it weighs 10,000 pounds and you just can't, you can't pick it up. Um, Yeah, I'm really grateful that 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 he did, and um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that, so.
3: The second step in AA is finding a power greater than yourself. For some, that's God, but Jason never felt spiritual, not until their visit to the monastery. It was as if they rebooted their relationship in those few days, wiped it clean, And this time they were going to be transparent with one another. After the trip, Jason committed to AA for real this time, no more cocaine and O'Doul's.
1: You know, I have a routine every morning now that's, you know, I've had since I got sober, which involves, uh, you know, stretching, reading some type of spiritual literature, uh, and, you know, lighting incense and sitting and meditating for 20 to 30 minutes. And, uh, Yeah, for the first time, I just had, like, inner peace and tranquility.
3: And Jason slowly got better.
1: My sobriety date is uh, June 7th of 2016.
3: All the while, David and Jason kept in touch. David goes on a lot of work trips. When he lands back in Florida late at night, he calls his brother, who's three hours behind him. That's their time to catch up. But they were each in their own silos— each had their own AA meeting. And then COVID started spreading across the country. In Florida, where David lives, in Nevada, where Jason lives, face-to-face meetings got canceled. And they each lost a lifeline. Being without that community in isolation was a recipe for relapse. Why not just screw it when no one's watching?
2: And then we were talking and (laughs) so what are you doing? What do you, what's your, what's your plan? What are your, what are your meetings like? Have you got an online meeting yet? I was like, no, And it's, you know, isolation is a big problem for alcoholics and can lead to relapse. And so I'm just grateful for you helping me stay connected.
3: Before COVID, David was the one helping Jason out. But now Jason was the one checking in on his older brother. He was telling him to join his AA meeting because now they can. It's all on Zoom. So they're no longer each in recovery on their own. They're sober together.
1: I think since the crisis started, you and I actually communicate more than we ever have too. Um, and a big, reason, a big reason for that is the, the access to meetings that we're both able to go to and then. Um, talk about the meetings afterwards or talk before the meetings. Um, yeah. We're able to be a part of each other's recovery for the first time. It'd be real easy for me to just hide and start, you know, using drugs and drinking again now that I'm, you know, isolating and home all the time. But, uh, you know, now that we're active in each other's recovery and active and going to meetings together online, there's that accountability and, and looking out for each other so that neither of us, you know, were
2: to relapse through yeah. this. Our recoveries are a part of each other's.
3: It doesn't matter if you've been sober for two decades or two months. We're living in unprecedented times right now. Everyone needs support.
2: I've been around the rooms for 20 years. I'm, I'm still very integrated in them. And I go, like I said, about once a week. But I definitely... I'm not in the center of the bed the way you are, Jason. The way you're, you know, such a part of the meetings and go regularly and you lead meetings, you're really integrated in them. So I definitely feel like when we started having that conversation at the beginning of COVID, I have to remember that this is a, you know, this is an ongoing thing. You can't let your sobriety just rest. And uh, I definitely appreciate you checking on me and. Connecting me to your uh, your online men's group because that was just huge. So I really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sure you were much more energized in the beginning, <laughs> like when you first came in too, in your first four years. When you have
2: a fire under your ass, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> it's early, exactly. Early years.
1: When we're both having to deal with the COVID 19 crisis, um, there's no judgment. There's no. Uh, you know, criticism between each other. It's only about helping each other through the crisis. If you're struggling with addiction
0: or know someone who is, please reach out to one of these virtual AA meetings. Hopefully it can be of help to you. A big thank you also to Jason and David for sharing their story. Telescope is made possible by the world class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was produced by Sheryl Morris, Haley Fager, and Joanna Clay. It was reported by Cheryl Morris. Our editors are Vikram Patel and Catherine St. Louis. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks that you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Media. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history. So please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story about life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you want to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Happy Monday. We'll see you on Wednesday.